0: Good morning. This is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Mondays and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on the show, our host, Dr. Elizabeth Allman, covers frequently asked and emerging questions about vaccines, We uh, about the COVID vaccine. We want to hear the questions you have. Give us a call at 573-874-5676 or email gm at kopn.org and I'll do my best to get to your question on the air to pose it to Dr. Alleman. So again, that number is 573-874-5676 or you can email gm at kopn.org with all your questions about the coronavirus vaccine. As you know, Dr. Elizabeth Allman is a local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOBN. She joins us via phone this morning. Good morning, Dr. Allman.
1: Good morning, Mallory. I um, have just really been enjoying the conversations I'm having um, in person, by phone, and on social media about vaccinations. It's such a... <clears throat> I don't know, it feels like a hopeful uh, topic in the midst of this really dark winter. So we are, as a nation, um, approaching uh, 300,000 deaths from this um, virus. And uh, we are seeing, you know, like upwards of 3,000 deaths a day in the United States. We're in the midst of it here in Missouri. Um, Actually, the number of new cases and deaths has sort of, overwhelmed the reporting system. So Matthew Holloway um, notes that not all counties and jurisdictions are reporting on a daily basis, and he has actually stopped doing his reportings on the weekends. But it looks like we're between three and 5,000 new cases every day in Missouri uh, <clears throat> with uh, 30 to 50 deaths a day. Um, and these are sobering and staggering um, deaths You know, and illness reports. Our hospitals are getting close to capacity, and our healthcare workers are, of course, tired and worn out uh, emotionally and physically. And we have still the coldest and the darkest uh, months ahead of us. And that when we have cooler weather, what we know is that we see more viral respiratory illnesses in every year, and we are expecting to see higher incidents through. December and January. As more people are inside, we re-breathe each other's air. Uh, The air is colder and drier. Our lining of our noses and mouths are drier and more vulnerable. And also the COVID uh, COVID virus seems to survive better in colder, drier air than it does in humidified air. So we're still and we have the holidays coming up where um, many people like to gather, either in small or larger groups. And while many people are changing their plans, not everyone is. So I'm asking all of our listeners to um, change your holiday plan so that you do not bring people together indoors who are um, who don't live together. But in the light of that, you know, it feels like this is the time of year when many different traditions celebrate light coming in the darkness. Um, we're a little bit away from the solstice, which is the longest night of the year, and then we begin to celebrate the days getting longer. And in the midst of that, we have a vaccine that's being administered, and um, it is not going to be enough in December and January to really have a detectable difference in our disease and death rates, but we're really hoping that um, soon after that it will begin to make a difference. Um, So... Uh, the Pfizer BioNTech collaboration vaccine has gotten emergency use, author- use authorization from the FDA on Friday evening. Uh, there was a little bit of some drama on Friday evening with the president uh, threatening to fire the FDA chief or whoever it was who was supposed to do it if they didn't if they waited until Monday and that person late on. Friday evening, went ahead and said, yes, I have no idea what all that was about. But the vaccines have been moving throughout the weekend, if you can believe, press reports, and people in the United States may start to get vaccinated um, as early as this afternoon. So um, the uh, vaccine that's being used is the one that was developed by Pfizer. It requires ultra-cold <clears throat> storage. Because it is a messenger RNA vaccine, and messenger RNA is pretty unstable as a molecule. Um, it's going to be injected into people's arms, and it will um, will need two doses about twenty one days apart. And it's really important that um, that the vaccines that require two doses that a person gets but the same vaccine both times. so, the Moderna vaccine is on its way, and then Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca are very close on the heels of that. And it's important for people to and their healthcare providers to keep track of which brand they got, which vaccine they got, so the second dose is the same vaccine. One day we will probably have some studies to tell us whether you can mix and match, but we don't have that information now. Um, so hospitals across the United States are going to begin to vaccinate healthcare workers, so that's doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, uh, emergency medical personnel, and other people who work in hospitals who have direct patient care, so administrative people, um, uh, people who do house cleaning, people who provide meals, people who do repairs. So if they actually have direct contact with patients, they are also on the list. We do not have enough of this vaccine to vaccinate all those people. Oh, and the other the other group of people we're um, targeting in this first round is people who live in long-term care facilities, so nursing homes, skilled nursing facilities, um, residential care facilities. Um, and we don't have enough of the vaccine to to vaccinate everybody, but we're going to start with what we have. Um, so, that's kind of what's happening this week, and so we're going to get a lot more information. Um Uh, There are some questions about special populations. So what about uh, people who are pregnant or breastfeeding? As far as I can tell, they were not included in the study, and so we just have no information about that. Um, There are some people who are saying, well, then they shouldn't be vaccinated, and other people saying they should not be um, denied vaccination if they would otherwise qualify for it and they want it. Uh, What we know is that... uh, Pregnancy is a risk for severe disease, and so it wouldn't make sense to not offer the vaccine. Um, but we need to know that we're we are doing all of this without all of the information that we would all like to have before we make a big healthcare decision. Um, this is not a live virus vaccine, so it's not like measles, mumps, rubella, um, or the chickenpox vaccine. Trying to remember if chickenpox is still alive. Anyway, there are some vaccines that are actually, the virus is alive, it's just not very strong, and we don't use those in pregnancy uh, because of some documented complications. So this being a messenger RNA vaccine, we would not expect it to have the same risks as those live virus vaccines. And so there isn't a compelling reason to believe that uh, pregnant women should not be allowed to be vaccinated, but they just need to know that we don't have the data we like to have. The other uh, risk group, uh, the other group that we don't have information about, is children. Uh, the um, the study, uh, the safety study for the phase two three study for Pfizer, um, did not. It included people over the age of 12, but it's my understanding that the number of people between 12 and 18 was somewhat limited, and so the decision has been made to offer it to people over the age of 16. And the advisory panel that made the recommendation for the Emergency Use Authorization, I have heard that there were a couple of members who did not vote for it and that their concern was that we didn't have enough information for people between the ages of 16 and 18. And I'm not sure that that's really relevant in these first couple of weeks because very few people in that age group are healthcare workers and very few live in long-term care facilities. So, um, and the other group that we've started to get some information about is people who have had what, they're, what the press is reporting as severe allergic reactions. And I really don't like it when we start to begin to make recommendations without specific language. The best I can tell from noodling around is that these severe reactions were in people who had a particular kind of health response called anaphylaxis. So this is the kind of um, severe, life-threatening, immediately-developing allergy that many people are aware of, that they might have a friend or a family member who has a severe allergy to peanuts or shellfish or bee stings. So this is a reaction where, once exposed to the substance, the person's blood pressure drops. They may have difficulty breathing. They may get confused and dizzy. Um, and this is something that, if it's not reversed with something epinephrine or adrenaline, the thing we we all argued about last year about the cost of epipens. Um, if we don't use that, then it can fairly quickly lead to death and apparently, there were two no nobody with that condition were enrolled in the study, safety studies, um but there were two healthcare workers in the u k who wanted to be vaccinated, had a history of anaphylaxis, but not to any of the components of the vaccine, were vaccinated, experienced anaphylaxis, and were treated successfully with epinephrine. And so now there's a thought that maybe we should wait for the next um, vaccine that comes out to see if it has that same reaction rather than giving this vaccine to other people with anaphylaxis. So that's another judgment spot. So commonly, the, the side effects are that people, especially more commonly after the second dose, will get um, redness, swelling, and pain at the site of the injection or um, a sort of a flu-like illness. So it's, it's not, I shouldn't call it flu-like illness, flu-like symptoms. So they can have fever, headache, muscle aches, low energy, and... Um, that. So, and that can last for a day or two. So there has been some concern that we, um, well, actually some relief that we aren't going to vaccinate all of our healthcare professionals on the same day because we would not want all of our hospital workers to need to spend a day resting or two, um, all on the same day. So, um, this is some, one of the sort of silver linings of there not being quite enough to roll it out all of those at the same time. Um, and what we're hoping is that by vaccinating healthcare professionals first, we will begin to deal with some of the staffing challenges that come when healthcare workers get sick from COVID or they are exposed and need to quarantine. Um, and there is a voluntary tracking app that you can put on your phone if you are someone who is vaccinated, and the. Uh, uh, the information about which vaccine you got and when you got it will be entered into the the app, and then you can report any um, symptoms that you have so this is a way to try to facilitate the information gathering that happens once we roll a any sort of drug or vaccine out into the pop population is that when then we want to see okay well we you know we did a study that had forty four thousand people, but now we're going to do. 10, 20, 30 million people, um, we are going to begin to see reactions that we couldn't have seen with the smaller number, and it would be nice to get those very quickly. Um, it is voluntary. It's my understanding that nobody has to uh, load that onto their phone, and that you don't have to continue to give them information if you don't want to, and it, it doesn't connect as far as I know to any of your, like, Fitbit or, or rings or other um, tracking devices. Okay, I've talked a long time. Mallory, have you got questions or comments? Anything I've left out?
0: Um, I mean, I think we should just keep going through all the questions that we have. We haven't so far gotten uh, much from listeners, so I do just want to say really quickly that that number, if anyone does have a question that they want us to address on air, is 573-874-5676, or you can send us an email at gm at kopn.org, and I have that pulled up right in front of me. So I'll see it if it comes in. And Dr. Alman, I'll let you know if we have any listener questions coming yeah, up. Yeah.
1: And we are not planning on putting people on the air, but that's right. the number where you will hear it and you can, um, you can answer the, you can, you know, turn down your volume and, and turn down your mic and answer the phone. Yes. So it, that is a way to get your question answered without having to be on the air. Yep. So there's been a lot of, um, what do I want to say? Speculation. About what could happen with this. First, I just want to say the mRNA vaccine, like you said last week, it's a very new technology. We haven't used this before. So, um, giving people a viral messenger RNA is a new thing. And um, it was being developed to treat cancer. Where we'd be able to maybe develop a messenger RNA to a protein that was expressed by your cancer cells but not your healthy cells, and then your amazing immune system could potentially rid your body of cancer. And if that has been, if we had developed it for that and begun to use it, we would have rolled it out, you know, a couple hundred people, and then a couple of thousand people, and then tens of thousands of people, and hundreds of thousands of people with different conditions, and we would have had years to have determined whether this was a good idea to do this to humans. And we're not going to do it that way because we are, as my friend and colleague Sarita Bennett, who's a physician in another state, said on Facebook this morning our approaches are loaded with desperation, which rarely includes long term thinking. So we are kind of in a desperate situation, and we have um, a desperate uh, offer of a, of a solution, a partial solution, and so many people are understandably going to eagerly and delightedly embrace it. <clears throat> but I think we, it, we ought to do it with the honesty of knowing we don't really know what this is going to do. And it may be the safest way to provide a vaccine because other ways we've done is we're often injecting the whole virus, which is a more complex substance. And we have grown that virus in a medium that is, you know, like chicken eggs or beef serum or various complex biological components, which can spoil, so they need preservatives. And can, they're complex, and people can have complex reactions to them. So it's possible that this may be the safest way to present an antigen to our immune system. It is also possible it will have unintended consequences, which may be positive or negative, and we can't know what those are at this point because we only developed this vaccine in the summer. Um, There have been people who have been very concerned about how quickly this vaccine has been rolled out, and I share some of that concerns, although some of what has been rushed are things that I think aren't really relevant. One is one of the things usually has to be documented before a vaccine can get approval, is they have to do studies on what's the shelf life. And that, of course, takes years because you want to see whether it lasts for a year on the shelf. You have to wait a year to see. And this vaccine is going to be administered so quickly that we didn't do that part of the study, which I think is okay. The other thing we did is we did not wait to see if the vaccine worked before we produced it. And that is usually a financial decision. Like you do not want to make hundreds of millions of copies of a vaccine that's expensive if it's going to be a flop and you're just going to have to destroy it. But one of the things that we did with um, governmental support was we said just if it, I don't know how they decided which ones to do it. But what we did was we went ahead and just pre-bought some vaccine doses and we didn't know whether they'd be um, useful or not. Um, and so this first one appears based on the studies that we've had. And I also want to say, these are not peer-reviewed studies. This is industry data, and only the industry and the regulators have seen the data. We, they've reported some of it in a press release, but nobody has looked at the raw data in a scientific, let's argue about what those numbers mean way, and that I, I am not sure why we did it that way so that is a that's a little bit of a challenge to me so the, the we did not have to wait to get a a statement that it works before we began large scale manufacturing and that is another thing that was rushed and that does not seem to me to be a problem with safety the thing that is a little bit of a disappointment is that we only did 4 months of of the study the randomized controlled trial because the people who were randomized to get the placebo in the study understandably want to be vaccinated, and they ethically, I don't know of any way to not go ahead and vaccinate them. So we'll only have four months of safety data in a randomized controlled trial, and the rest of our safety data will be from vaccinating the population.
0: Dr. Allman, we have a few listener questions. Oh, great. a good time. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh one person just called in and asked will this v- vaccine protect someone who has had a lung transplant and is given immunosuppression drugs and um i do just want to note for our listeners you know dr Alman, we're asking you these questions on the spot and if there's ever any resources we can provide you know in the links to the show notes or something like that i'd be happy to do that so yeah. don't so, feel like you have first to- of all
1: i'll <laughs> say that i do not provide specific uh, medical information over the phone on the air. Mm-hmm. And um, number two, I am really happy to say, I don't know. And the answer to this question is, I don't know. And I don't think anybody knows. I am going to guess that people with taking immunosuppressive drugs were not included in the study. Okay. Yeah. So, so that, that brings us back. So those people would be in the category of people who are pregnant, people who are breastfeeding children, um, people with anaphylaxis, where we don't know for sure, And they should have a conversation with their own primary care, uh, their own health care provider.
0: Okay. Um, Another question we got is, will the COVID vaccine have any effect on preventing the flu?
1: Uh, We would not expect that it would have any impact on preventing the flu. And if anything, it might make, it might, once we get a significant part of our population, like next year, we'll probably have a worse flu season than this year because, people will probably by then will probably stop wearing masks Mm -hmm. yeah
0: and then the last question we got and then i'll go off air so that i can answer this call is um can you talk about patent rights at all for these vaccines i mean these companies are going to be making millions and probably billions of dollars off of these vaccines and are they going to be distributed to other countries equally um what have you read about
1: that So there's been a whole lot of talk about. Well, thanks for the question. These are great questions. Um, Mainly, I'll say I don't really know. Um, There has been a lot of concern that uh, the distribution of the vaccines will not be equitable, either within the United in 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 any country and among countries. Um, There's been a little bit of some stuff in the the media about how um, the United States was offered an extra 100 million doses of the pfizer vaccine and we turned it down so we can't get more pfizer vaccine once we've gotten the full shipment of the what we've already ordered until june and i will just say that the united states has purchased pre-purchased enough vaccine doses to vaccinate our entire population twice and of course we don't know so we didn't know at the time we bought them whether any of them or all of them would work and which one so um, I think that criticizing that decision in, with the retrospectoscope is not fair. We didn't like if we bought more Pfizer vaccine and it turned out to not be good. Now we'd be criticizing that decision. There, the Canada apparently has bought enough vaccine to um, vaccinate their population four times over, and then there are countries in the global south and uh, countries with limited resources that haven't bought any or have very little. Um, and so the equitable distribution of vaccines is a challenging one, and the profit of uh, pharmaceutical and vaccine manufacturers is a larger, longer conversation. And it is a disturbing thing to me that the CEO of Pfizer sold 60% of his stock the day after they announced that the vaccine was effective. Um, and I think that the profit motive in vaccinations is really a very unfortunate part of the way we pay for health care.
0: And in terms of um, equitable distribution, you may have mentioned this already while I was on the phone with a listener, but um, where are people going to be able to get this vaccine once it is you know, rolled out for the general public? Is it going to be something like the flu shot where you can kind of roll up to your local drugstore and get it, or are people going to have to go through their primary care providers?
1: That is still being worked out, and there are many, many plans on paper. And then what actually happens when we actually see when and where and which vaccines are being developed and delivered and when, um, it's probably going to change. But it appears to me when I'm looking at these plans that uh, major, major pharmacy chains are involved. The expectation is that hospitals will continue to provide for their employees, and that um, they're hoping that they're, that um, uh, uh, primary care physicians and well, all physicians will be able to vaccinate their own patients as well. So I think it's that the work involved in providing this many vaccines is going to overwhelm our um our healthcare facility i mean i not mean it in a negative way it's it, you know we could take all the people who are trained to give vaccines and put them to work for a long time just vaccinating people and it would take us a while to get it done so it's going to be a big challenge to get all of it done hmm. We're going to need all hands on deck. <laughs> and
0: then we had a listener um, call in and ask the the people who got vaccinated who are in the tri- trial with placebo or the vaccines, is, is there any data about whether or not they were out in life, you know, wearing masks or not wearing masks?
1: So again, this hasn't been published, so we don't know, mm-hmm. but it's my... Um, the intention of the study would be to enroll people in those arms and randomly assign them in such a way. And with a big enough study, you would expect that things like mask wearing and social distancing would be the same in both the placebo group and the, and the vaccine group. And just to be clear, we did not deliberately expose anybody. We just vaccinated people and told them to keep doing the same things they were doing I don't know exactly what was said. I'm sure that people asked them to wash their hands and wear masks and stuff, but um, we didn't we didn't ask anybody to deliberately expose themselves, and I don't think we asked anybody to, to increase how much they were being careful. I mean I don't know that so those are great questions, but the the, the difference between um, the intervention group and the placebo group and the, with the little bit of data that's been released and And the timeline, um, looking at the graph, um, for the first week, the incidence of infection in both groups was identical. And then at about seven days, you could see um, increasing, ongoing increase of cases in the control group, and the placebo group pretty much stopped getting infected. So um, there have been lots of questions like, um, does this cause sterility? Um, not that we know of. No other vaccine has caused sterility that I know of. Uh, vaccination is very common, and our birth rate is still pretty high. Um, can it cause HIV? I can't imagine how it could do that. No, it can't do that. Can you get COVID from the vaccine? No, because we're not even injecting any part of the vaccine. We are I mean, the virus. We are injecting just the, the RNA part. I guess we are. De- we are not even injecting the whole genetic code, just the amount of the genetic code that codes for the spike protein, because that is the antibody, that is the antigen to which the antibody, when you make it, seems to predict reduction in disease. Um, and then there's a big question about what is it going to do to our genetic code, like is the, if we put RNA into our bodies, is that going to affect our DNA? And, again, we don't know for sure because we've never done this before, but that feels pretty far-fetched to me. And I'm not trying to be critical of anybody, um, including Robert Kennedy, who seems to be worried about that. Um, it is not the way I understand DNA and RNA to work. And when we get a viral infection, a flu or a cold, what happens is our, the viral RNA goes into our cells and we code for all the whole virus. And then the cell gets so full of virus that it dies and releases the virus back into our stream, bloodstream. So we already have a lot of experience with getting viral RNA into our bodies, and I am unaware of any incidents where a viral infection, an RNA viral infection, has modified anybody's DNA. So that would be a brand new way for RNA to be affecting um, mammalian cells. So that is not a concern to me. Um, Yeah, so those are, and I'm trying to remember, did we have anything, do we have any other question that I sent you that I haven't handled, answered yet?
0: Um, I don't think we have, and we are just about out of time. We are out of time. Phew, did it. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Alleman, for joining us today.
1: Oh, you are so welcome. So I want to tell everybody to, you know, take your vitamin D, wash your hands, wear your mask. And I'm adding a few things like cancel Christmas, (laughs) postpone Christmas to July, um, Eat a whole foods, non-inflammatory diet and really notice how much you're drinking of alcohol and consuming sugar because those things are not helpful to your immune system. Um, and get outside and exercise every day. Get a laugh and um, stay connected to the people you love. And um, always cultivate a cheerful confidence that your body can handle a viral infection. And if you're one of the people who's getting vaccinated, cultivate a cheerful confidence that the vaccine will help you.
0: Awesome. Thank you so right. much. We'll Have talk a good to you next rest of your Monday. day. Okay. Bye. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. If you missed part of this program or want to share it with your friends, you can find it later today at KOPN.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks to all who called in and emailed their questions today. As always, we invite you to share your questions with us as we plan for future episodes. You can leave a message for us at 573-874-1139 or email gm at KOPN.org. Catch us again live on Wednesday at 9 a.m. with host Jenny Chadwick. Thanks so much for tuning in to KOPN 89.5 FM, your community radio station right here in Mid-Missouri. Between the Lines is up next. Stay tuned.